Thank you, Margie. I hope you heard the words because then uh, maybe I can short my message a little because it is about how God takes things that are broken and in a sense brings joy in those things. Uh, I don't know what brings you joy. I just know that there's a lot of, of people that are wondering, will I ever have joy again? Will I ever see it again? Uh, one thing that brings me joy, if you've got kids, you probably know what this is. Bubbles bring me joy. You know uh, what even brings me more joy is watching my grandkids catch the bubbles, running around and they, you know, I've got intelligent grandkids. <laughs> and then they, <laughs> they try it again. Uh, bubbles give me joy. The problem with bubbles is they pop. Oh, yeah, that's part of the joy a, a little bit. You know, you try to land them on your nose and see how long it can be, and then it pops, and everybody laughs. And, and, uh, but the bubbles pop. And then the joy ends. Lots of our joys are like bubbles, aren't they? When you think about what really brings you joy, in your mind, what brings you joy? And how long does it last? Maybe it's a toy. Uh, if it's a kid's toy, it lasts until your next garage sale, right? And then you sell a broken toy because it didn't last very long. Or the first day of school, what brings you joy? You know, I, I, does that bring you joy, first day of school? Uh, parents are all saying, yeah, that's right. That brings me joy. Until they ask you to help you with their homework, help them with their homework. Then it's not so joyous. The joy is gone. Maybe it's a fishing trip. But then you have to go back to work, right? Maybe it's a new baby. And we've got some of those coming soon in our church family. And that's going to be joyful for all of us. But what about three in the morning for them? Uh, or when they hit their terrible twos? Uh, then how, tell us how much joy they are. So what brings you joy and how long does it last? It's, it's really sad to hear that there are many that are thinking and some that are saying, I've lost my joy. I, I just don't have joy anymore. That is sad, isn't it? Um, it's gotten so easy for people to lose their joy. You know, I, I'll admit it. I've lost some of my joy because uh, Hallmark told me that they didn't want me for a customer anymore. 
because they were going to be celebrating uh, a deviant lifestyle or deviant lifestyles in their movies, and they 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 don't want me to watch those. That that's boy, that's killing me right here. You know those Hallmark movies. Oh man, they were great, weren't they? Uh, and now they're done. Well, I know that there are still some that are okay, but they've just decided they don't want me for a customer. Uh, we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul is going to tell us how that, what will help us keep our joy. In these verses, actually the verses, he goes right down almost to the, well, to the end of the chapter, but uh, we didn't read those this morning, but uh, he has been living on pins and needles for a while because he wrote a letter, a kind of a scathing letter to the church at Corinth, and he says, you are living like unbelievers, and you can't do that. They're, you're living immoral lives. You're allowing it in your, in your congregation. You're celebrating it in your congregation. And he says, you can't do that and still be a testimony to those uh, around you, those that have not yet trusted Christ as Savior. Uh, but he says, you can have joy. Now, joy here isn't necessarily happiness. I, I read this week in a devotional about a 93-year-old man, and he writes, he, he says, I'm 93. Uh, no, he's just a grandfather, uh, just a grandfather. He said, I've lost my joy. Uh, Thirteen years ago, I backed over my grandson and killed him, 18 months old. And, and I was in uh, charge of the children's ministry at church, and I taught a Sunday school class, and I, I stopped all of that. He says, I can hardly drive now without crying. How can I get my joy back? Now, the response from an intelligent man, uh, Pastor John Piper, he, uh, he said, well, you'll never have the same joy that you had before, which I believe, being a grandpa, I, I believe I could never have the same joy. But he said, you can have joy, even as Paul had joy in the midst of his tribulation. Isn't that uh, what he says in verse 4? In fact, he says, I don't just have joy, but at the end of verse 4, he says, I'm filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Now, John Piper gave three things. I jotted those down. He says, you're going to have to live with the grief. Grandpa, you're going to have the grief. You're going to have to bear with it like a disability, like you've had your arm or your leg amputated. You're going to have to live with that. You're going to be limited uh, just like Jacob, remember when he wrestled with the angel in the Old Testament, uh, and finally he, he, uh, he said, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't win this race, but bless me, I'm not going to let go. And, and so he was blessed, but the Jesus, I believe, touched him, he was wrestling with Jesus, touched his hip, and he limped the rest of his life. 
as a reminder that he came in contact with God that day or that night when they wrestled. But he says, you're going to have to live with that as a disability. And it's, going to be, it's going to be tough. You're going to limp or you're going to use a wheelchair. Uh, and then he said, embrace brokenness. Embrace brokenness. I'm a broken man. Embrace it and minister to others that are going through similar disabilities. Or he meant brokenness, even as Margie sang this morning. So uh, Paul can have mega joy or joy to the max, exceedingly joyful here in verse 4, even though he was a killer of Christians. You, you don't think that he thought back at the days when he was killing Christians? Yeah, I, I'm sure he did. In fact, it shows up in some of his, his uh, writings when he writes about uh, what took place in the past. Uh, so, even when the bubble bursts, even when the toys break, even when the pink slip comes, even when the marriage ends, even when the coroner shows up, we can have joy. Not happiness, necessarily. That's not the same. We can have joy. What brought joy to Paul's life? Three things that I see here in these verses that we read. The first being seen in verse 2. Listen, receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. He's got a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Uh, without a clear conscience, you're not going to really experience joy. Not uh, to the depths that we are meant to uh, experience joy. Uh, Paul is saying here, no matter what the false teachers are saying about me, because remember that he's writing this letter to say, hey, receive me. Don't listen to the, what the false teachers are saying. They're saying all kinds of things, and he answers three of the accusations right here in this verse. But he says, uh, no matter what, my conscience is clear. Uh, you can't burst my bubble of joy because my conscience is clear. He says, receive us, believe us again, uh, uh, restore our friendship. And so he answers the three accusations that are made, trying to uh, say he can't do this. Paul says, I've got a clear conscience. First of all, I've got a clear conscience because we've wronged no one, he says. He wasn't saying he was perfect. He knows that he's not. He's not saying that he wasn't brusque. He knows that he was. He knows that he came out and he scolded them. And he said later in the verses we didn't read, but in this same chapter, he says, I wrote this letter and I sent it. And then I wish that I hadn't have written the letter. But then I was glad that I wrote the letter because it got you where you needed to be before God. And, and sometimes we do that. Sometimes we scold our kids, or we discipline our kids, and we don't want to discipline our kids, but we do anyway because we want to bring them to the point where they will be able to serve God as they grow up. He says, I've lived in your midst long enough that you should know that my heart is sincere. Uh, 
he wrote, he wrote in Galatians 4, verse 16, have you become my enemy because I tell you the truth? Now, sometimes that happens. And maybe it's the way you tell the truth. <laughs> you know? And sometimes we don't tell the truth in, in such a, an acceptable way. You know, we, uh, we throw it in their face, and that's not the way we do it. In Ephesians 4.15, he says, speaking the truth in love. But that's not always easy. Sometimes it's easier to, to tell them something in love and, and sugarcoat it. Sometimes it's easier to use the truth and use it harshly. But there's a balance between truth and love. But Paul says, I have, I have given my life for you. And we looked at that in, in earlier chapters, the last chapter. Look at all the things that I suffered for you in, verses, uh, five, in chapter 6, verses 5, uh, right on down in uh, uh, 4. And necessities, afflictions, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumults, labors, watchings, fastings. We've, we've done this for you. The... Uh, Actually, the kind of the symbol of the Southern Baptist missions program is Lottie Moon. Years and years and years ago, Lottie Moon was a missionary in China. She served there for almost 40 years. The uh, famine came there in China, and Lottie, rather than to see her friends die, she gave all of her food to her friends and those around her to the point where finally her colleagues came and carried her from the mission house, carried her to the dock, put her on a ship to send her back to the United States because she was starving to death. And she died Christmas Eve 1912 in the harbor of Japan. She never made it home. Starved to death. She gave herself sacrificially to the Chinese people. That's what Paul is saying here. I have wronged no one. And uh, so you can't burst my bubble of joy. Because I've not wronged you. Secondly, that, to answer the accusations of these uh, false teachers in the uh, church at Corinth, he says, we have corrupted no one. Verse 2, we have corrupted no man, he says here. We've only taught the truth, only taught the truth, the truth of God. Uh, see, what the false teachers were saying, salvation comes through circumcision, through keeping the law, through sacrifices, through feast days. And if you're not going to do this, you're not going to heaven. You're not going to receive salvation. Paul says, we have corrupted no one. We didn't teach that because we taught the truth. That salvation comes through grace, the grace of God extending to man, and us in repentance, repenting and asking Jesus to forgive us and save us, and salvation comes that way. And upon our salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells us. Our sins are forgiven because they've been laid on Jesus Christ. And now, the righteousness of Christ has been placed on us, and we become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He says, that's what we have been teaching. We, we have uh, corrupted no man with, with false doctrine. And so today it might be, we, uh, we have corrupted no man by teaching salvation comes through baptism. And sometimes people believe that. It does not come 
or good works? No. Lest any man should boast. Or good ancestry? My mom and dad, they went to church all the time. So surely that should count a little bit. No, it's a personal invitation. There are no grandkids in heaven. I'm not saying that our grandkids are not going to heaven. I'm just saying that you don't get to heaven because grandpa was a pastor. You get to heaven because you ask Jesus to save you. And so, uh, or by good karma, or by enough steps in reincarnation, you know, that would be, as he said here, that, that would be corrupting people if we said that was the way. Uh, we have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. And that third one there is we have defrauded no one. What does, we don't use the word defraud so much, although you pretty much have an idea of what that means. Uh, he says we have defrauded no one. Dishonest financial dealings is what it is talking about here. We have not built anybody out of their money. We didn't come, Paul is saying, we didn't come and, and bring, you, uh, bring you Christ or come and preach and, and gather you together and lead you to the Lord uh, so that you could be our meal ticket, fleecing the sheep or the flock. We weren't in it for the money. Now, I might question the motives of some um, TV evangelists or some megachurch pastors, but really that's not my place. It's, it's God's place, and he does that. I don't have to. Um, but I have to, I need a clear conscience of saying, you know, here, just like Paul, uh, we've wronged no man, corrupted no man, have defrauded no man. And so... Uh, we always taught our kids. You go into a grocery store, and they give you uh, too much money, and you get out, and you find out, oh, they gave me a five instead of a one. You go back in there, you take it back, you give it back. And uh, that's what the, the way we grew up, and that's what way we want our kids and our grandkids. Logan, now, he went and he bought a, uh, a book at a garage sale. And it was uh, uh, a financial money matters uh, book for kids. And he, he got it home, uh, Dave Ramsey, okay. He got it home and he opened up that book, started to go through it. And there was 30 or $40 in there. It's probably that some kids uh, was starting his savings account with Dave Ramsey's course and keeping it in the book. And so he found this. And went back to the garage sale. He didn't drive himself. Amanda had to take him back uh, since he's only nine now, I think. Um, but he went back to the garage sale. And the mom wasn't there that he bought it from, but uh, a girl was there. And he said, here, this was in a book that I bought. Now, I don't know how, you know, it, mostly they would probably look at him. What? Why would you do that? Why would you return money? I mean, you already had it. Uh, but instead, she gets up, says, wait right here, runs in and gets her mom. Her mom comes out because this is an unusual sight. Well, Paul says, it shouldn't be unusual. We shouldn't be defrauding anybody. Uh, we need to be honest. 
when uh, our house was finished building, B-Dirt uh, finished building it for us about 15 years ago. And uh, when they finished, and I was putting my tools away out in my garage, here was a, a Ryobi, blue Ryobi drill. And it had a cord on it. And so it, and, uh, so it wasn't mine. Uh, so I caught Joe in the hall here, and, and I said, uh, and so shortly after that, I caught him in the hall, and I said, hey, I came up with a, a Ryobi drill. Apparently, you left it there when you finished up the project, the, the house. And, uh, but I, I don't have one like it, so I am thinking I just might keep it. And Joe said, I can live with it if you can. Now, you'll laugh now, but wait until you hear what happened. I lived with it for almost 15 years. I called Joe this week. Said, you remember? No, no. See, I knew money wasn't a, a deal. I said, this is what I said. This is what you said. He said, I was just joking. I was kidding. And I know he was because he has snuck hundreds of dollars into my pocket to help those that catch me afterwards because they need gas or they need some food. And, and so uh, I'll tell you right now, my pockets are empty, so don't, uh, don't come now. But even just a few months ago, Joe stopped in to, to give me some hundreds of dollars to help with the COVID funds here at church. So I, I knew that he said, that's just a joke. AJ and I, we, we, we say that all the time. And it wasn't a joke to me. So I said, how much does a Ryobi drill with a cord on it, uh, how much is it worth? He says, 20, 25 bucks. Uh, but don't give me the money. I said, too late. I'm writing out the check now. And uh, so that I can have a clear conscience. I don't want to defraud Joe, he doesn't, he said, I'm not, I'm not going to keep it. I'm going to give it to your grandkids. I, I don't care. It's, it's just that I need to get this off of my conscience. I do not want to be defrauding anyone. So uh, you can't burst my bubble of joy because uh, Verse 2 says, I've wronged no man, I've corrupted no man, I've defrauded no man. So I'm glad Paul could say that, but maybe you can't, maybe I can't. Now I ask the Holy Spirit every now and then, reveal to me things that I need to take care of. And it wasn't like I remembered that Ryobi drill all the time. You know, Every now and then I'd remember, ah, oh, need to take care of that. Ah, oh, need to take care of that, every now and then. But what about in your life? If you ask the Holy Spirit, just, just help me to know what I need to go back and deal with. Sometimes you cannot make restitution because the person you maybe were bitter towards someone or angry at them, and now they've gone to heaven. Maybe because they sexually abused you. Uh, and now they are gone. Well, you can deal with it with God. And say, I'm giving you this. The anger, whatever it might be that you still have. 
forgive me of this. And, uh, and that's the best you can do. Maybe it's something else that you really can't, you really can't uh, recompense or, or pay back or make restitution for. But uh, you can before God. And so do that. Great joy comes when you have a clear conscience. A clear conscience. Great joy comes in verse 3, Paul says, I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in my heart to die and live with you. Uh, so great joy with a clear conscience, but also with positive persistence. See, he hung right in there. He wasn't going to say, okay, I'm out of here. Uh, you, you talk about me, you treat me that way, then uh, forget it. I'm just going to walk away. No, there's persistence here. He says, I, I didn't write this letter to condemn you. I wrote it because I love you so much. And that's what he does. Uh, if he condemned, that would be a negative persistence, but he's not going to do that because we love you. And he says, I've said it before, and he has with, uh, in the early part of this book. Uh, he keeps saying, you know, I, I love you. And so, uh, because I love you, I wrote this letter. Now, it's this love that he talks about here. Uh, I said it before, that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. I would die for you. And I will live for, with you, for you. Unconditional love. Here's the 93-year-old that I read about. He's a Baptist, he was a Baptist pastor. He's still, he's learning another language right now, and uh, 93 years old, and he recently wrote some messages, uh, but his wife in, in 2015 got Alzheimer's, and eventually it got so bad that he had to go, uh, she had to go to a care facility, and so in March, this uh, man showed up at the care facility like he did the day before to help care for his wife. You know, now she doesn't know who he is, but uh, he showed up. He's locked out, of course, just like here in town. The doors are locked at nursing homes. And so he goes home in March, and he fills his suitcase with clothes, books, medicines for his wife, uh, his computer, and the next morning, he shows up at the nursing home. They let him in. Why? Because he's talked to the authorities there, and they have rented him a room, a single room. Now he goes in and cares for his wife, or he lives there in this nursing home, cares for his wife all day long. A Wall Street Journal wrote this article about him and asked him, why are you doing it? He said, she's taken care of me for 70 years. Now it's my turn. See, that's commitment. That's persistence. That's it. not going to let little... It's easy, and I know it. It's, it's easy to allow little things in marriages to grow to the point where you hate each other. Oh, that's... Uh, that's the opposite. Paul says here, I, I, wanna, I will die for you. 
because of his love. Unconditional love here. Um, he, he says, I chasten you in my letters, verse 4. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying in you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Uh, he says, you don't have to agree with me to still love me. Do, do, do you know that as husband and wife? That you don't have to agree on everything to still love each other? I think we've reached the point in the United States that if we disagree, we hate each other. I, I love it when, well, I, I hate it when, the, uh, when the, the elections come around, but I love driving by a certain yard down from our neighborhood a ways where on one side of the driveway is a Republican sign and on the other side of the driveway is a, a Democrat sign and apparently, they're still married. I'm just assuming they are. But they can disagree and still love each other. I, I, I'm hoping they do. But that's what Paul says. You might not agree with everything I say, but I, I love you. And so, here, positive persistence. He says, I even praise you in front of others. Uh, in... Uh, Verse 4, uh, my glorying of you, that's what it means. I praise you for others. I talk about the Corinthian church wherever I go because I love you and I'm filled with comfort and uh, I'm joyful because of it. When I think of you, I'm comforted all over is what he is saying here. And sometimes prisoners of war, uh, the only thing that kept them going was their, their memories and their thoughts of the loved ones back home. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Some of the persecution he's gone through, he's been able to endure because of them. Because of the, so I love you for this. Um, so you can't burst my bubble of joy because they have a clear conscience. You can't burst my bubble of joy because I have positive persistence. You can't burst my bubble of joy because I have faithful friends. And we all need friends. We all, we all need friends. Uh, yes, we sing, what a friend we have in Jesus. But Jesus says, uh, well, and Paul is saying, we need friends with skin as well. Uh, with skin on. Uh, we all do. We need, that, that's why it's been really hard on those that can't gather, those that are, uh, comprom have compromised health and they can't be here. Because they're missing us. And they, they long for us to call them and to talk with them. Did you get some of those phone calls done this week? That was my challenge from last week. Did you call anybody and let them know that you love them? Um, here, shaking hands. I know we can't shake hands. We can shake elbows. Some we can shake hands with if, if it's okay, and that's one thing we get to enjoy here. We shake hands or we shake elbows or um, just in some way. Uh, a nurse that works in the cancer treatment department uh, was telling me this morning 
that uh, as she was helping a woman recently get prepared for her chemo treatment, that she put her hand on her arm and the lady flinched. And she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, did that, did I hurt you? And the lady said, no, no. But you're the first person who's touched me since March. And she just needed to be touched. Good friends. We've got to have good friends. The re return of the friend here, Titus, verse 6. Titus came back and he comforted us. Uh, we were comforted in the return of Titus. And Titus was a Gentile. And Paul was a Jew. And Jews and Gentiles didn't mix. And uh, there would be riots between Jews and Gentiles. Just like going on around the, across the United States, only with different people. But Paul and, and Titus were good friends. They loved each other, even though they were different ethnic groups. Um, in fact, Paul wrote a, a letter to Titus, and we have it in the New Testament, entitled Titus. He went with them on their missionary journeys. Uh, Paul trusted him to go to Corinth with this important letter and to see how the church responded. That's why they were so eager to get Titus back. And so God uses people with skin to uh, comfort those that are hurting. Now, we've got a lot. Some of you right here are hurting. I know that. You're sad, discouraged, lonely, isolated quarantined. Um, that's why I was, I was grateful that this week Cindy uh, cut a bunch of flowers out of our garden and, and went around to some of these shut-ins and, uh, and gave them flowers, spent some time visiting with them. Uh, just a suggestion, maybe that's what you could do. But you can't burst my bubble of joy because a friend has returned. You can't burst my bubble of joy because reconciliation has been made with the church. That's what Paul is saying here, that uh, the church of Corinth came back to him. And how, how did this reconciliation take place? Well, he writes in here, uh, he, Titus has just told me that he was comforted by you. And when also of your mourning... See, the church of Corinth realized that they had sinned against God. And say, so they were made sorry, he says in verse 9. And that sorrow worked towards repentance. They repented of their sin at uh, Corinth. And, uh, and now, when Paul wrote the letter, he knew that their relationship with the people at Corinth could either be uh, made right or healed or it could die. The relationship die. And he's rejoicing now because they have repented of their sin. And uh, that's reconciliation. One of the signs. They extend comfort. One of the signs. They desire to change. One of the signs. Willing to repent. All of these taken from these verses here. Recognize the offense and repented of it. Uh, 
wanting to enjoy each other's company, trusting each other again when reconciliation takes place. Now, that's different than forgiveness. Um, I realize that there are some ladies in our church family here, I'm sure more than what I know, that were sexually abused when you were, when you were kids. And, uh, and so you might never be able to reconcile, but you can forgive. You might never be able to trust that person again, but you can forgive that person, uh, whether they know it or not, or maybe you let them know that you uh, forgave them. Joe Ponder was, uh, you may have heard when uh, President Trump pardoned him just in the last couple of weeks, pardoned him. He was a bank robber. And while he was in jail, he came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. He asked God to forgive him, and God did. And so uh, he began a program there in prison called Hope for Prisoners. And it's to reintroduce prisoners into society. Hope for prisoners. And so Donald Trump pardoned him. Now he became the, his best friend was the FBI agent that arrested him. His best friend. I mean, they became best friends after they were arrested. And so that FBI agent stood with Joe Ponder as he received his pardon. See, reconciliation is possible. Now, maybe it is not possible in your lives. I'm thinking of marriages where there's been remarriage and stuff. Uh, and so that's not possible. But there can be, as far as marriage, but reconciliation outside of remarriage is, is still possible. It's a, it might take a matter of prayer. I don't know where you stand as far as thing, uh, people you need to be reconciled again to. Maybe a boss that you, that you cursed out as you left the, the job site. You might need to go back to that guy and, and tell him, I've given my life to Christ and I am so sorry. But in some way, uh, he says, you can't burst my bubble of joy because I have a clear conscience and, and because uh, I have faithful friends and I want you as a friend. Reconciliation. Uh, we need each other. Now, there's an old parable that uh, describes hell as a huge banquet table filled with all kinds of great food. But there's a problem that nobody's elbow will bend. And so they can never eat of that food. Now there's a picture of heaven. This table just, uh, just spread a huge feast in heaven. Now there's still kind of a problem. Nobody's elbows will bend. But everybody's enjoying the feast. Why? Because everybody's feeding the person next to them. See, we need each other. And that's why Paul writes to this church family. And why I've said we are just a group of, of people uh, as a, ho a hospital. That we come in sick and we have others that help us get well. So that when they are well, they can help us when we get sick. Or when we go through our trials, when we go through terrible times, 
when we run over our, the grandkids. I just can't imagine that. But in some way, that church family has to rally and encourage this, to this man to live with his disability because he'll carry it the rest of his life. Same is true with some here. You need help. We need to be the ones to help you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Paul's words to us. I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you personally, that they might seek you today because you're seeking them. And so I, I pray that you might work in their hearts, that they might pray the sinner's prayer and ask you to forgive them and save them, please. I pray for other struggles that we might have with our consciences or with our persistence or even with our friendships. Help us to show ourselves friend, friendly so that we can gain friends. Might we be the body of Christ that will please you this week, please. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.